awesome. Well, we are starting a brand new series today. And I want you to know, it's not, not a series, it didn't originate with me. It's a series that I heard earlier uh, last year. I can say that now. Earlier last year uh, from Andy Stanley, who's the pastor of North Point Ministry. And I'm in a, a cohort group with that church. And there was a message that he shared. And I just, I thought it was fascinating. I thought it was amazing. And so uh, he puts his notes online and you can buy them. And so I bought the notes for the series and I wanted to share it with you all as well. Um, and, and the idea was about integrity, okay? The word integrity. And, and you all probably have some sense of that word integrity, what that word means, but I'm actually going to give you a definition, week two, an official definition of integrity. But if you just Googled integrity, here's what it would say Integrity is resolve and the courage to do the right and noble thing just because it's the right and noble thing. So that's what integrity is, and you, you, you guys are probably familiar with, 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 with what that is. It's when somebody does the right thing, not because it benefits them, just because it's the right thing to do. It actually may even cost you to do the right thing, but it's most important for you to do the right and noble thing, the moral thing, because you have something inside of you that's just calling you to that, and you can't get away from it. So even though it may cost you, even though it may hurt you, even though it may not benefit you, you choose to do the right and noble thing. This is, this is what makes a hero a hero, right? I don't know if any of you have gone and seen Spider-Man yet, but if you haven't, I've seen it twice already. You need to catch up with me, right? But I mean, you know, comic book heroes, superheroes, heroes in history, heroes in film, heroes in books. What makes a hero a hero? A hero is somebody who does the right thing just because... It's the right thing to do. And we do. We see it. It costs our heroes all the time. That's, but that's what integrity is. Now, there's another term for integrity called structural integrity. You may have heard of structural integrity. You know, when they build things, they build it with structural integrity. And the definition for structural integrity is the ability of a structure to withstand its intended load without failing due to fracture, deformation, or fatigue. So when they build things, they build it with structural integrity. They build it to be able to withstand the load, to withstand fatigue. Because if they don't build it correctly, if they don't build it with structural integrity, then what happens? Things break. Things collapse. Things fall apart. And, and here's what we know about structural integrity. When, when something fails, the failure, the failure, when, when a load-bearing structure fails, the load is transferred. Another way to put it is this, the failure of one part impacts the failure of others. I mean, when they built your car, when they built the wheels on your car, they built, they built each wheel with structural integrity. And when they built that wheel, they built the rest of the car in mind. Because what happens? I mean, if one wheel, one wheel fails, if its structure, structural integrity fails, what happens? It affects the whole rest of the car. It affects the other three wheels, it affects the, 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 the axle, it affects the, the person who's driving the car. I mean, if that wheel fails and then the car fails, it could even, it could even damage or, or possibly injure multiple people, other cars, other vehicles, right? So it's important when they build these structures, they build them with structural integrity because the failure of one part impacts the failure of others. You guys kind of see where I'm going with this? Because here's the thing. Your personal integrity also can harm or affect other people. 
A failure, a failure of personal integrity transfers stress to the people around you. See, I know that in our culture, we, 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 we have this message of, you know, it's your life and it's nobody else's business and you do you because it doesn't matter to anybody else. But that's, that's a bunch of baloney. N- number one, the short answer is for Christians, it won't be like that in heaven. Okay? I don't know if you know that, but it's not going to be like that in heaven. You are going to impact other people. We are in heaven. You're not going to get your own plot of heaven and, and be by yourself. We're going to all be together. But for the rest of us who, who may not be Christian or may not believe in that, well, well, here's the thing. In this world that we live in on this earth, your personal integrity matters because it transfers stress to other people around you if it fails. Teachers, you know this. Andy used this example, and I, and I had to steal it because it was so perfect. Teachers, you know this. If you have a student who is doing fantastic in class, A-plus student, always on time, always turns in their assignments on time, and then all of a sudden things fall apart, they're failing, they're late, they're missing assignments, what do you immediately go to? Something's going on where? At home, right? It's immediately where your mind goes. Something is happening at home. And we, we, we know this even in our, own, in our own lives, too. Some of you have experienced this. Sometimes in your life, you have marital stress, right? You have things going on in your relationships and, and in your marriage, and it's nothing about what's going on in your marriage. What is it sometimes about? Sometimes it's about what's going on in your kid's life. Because when your kid or your teenager has a failure of personal integrity, or if, if your, your ex-spouse or your ex-boyfriend or your, your ex-wife or whoever it may be, if they have a failure of personal integrity, where does the stress transfer, transfer to? You. Onto your marriage. Into your relationships. I mean, we even see this in business, right? Ever heard of Enron? Okay. A little, nice little history lesson, right? What happened there? The failure of, 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 of a group of individuals, of a group of leaders, it transferred stress, and it transferred stress on many people, on tons of people. Their failure of personal integrity didn't just impact them, it impacted the whole country. Me and the, the leadership team and the staff, we're, we're listening to a podcast right now uh, called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. If you don't know, if you're not familiar with Mark Driscoll and Mars Hill, it was a church that was planted in the 90s, started with six people, much like ours, and then rose to 30,000 people, multiple campuses. I mean, Mark Driscoll wrote books on the New York Times bestseller list, and all these glorious things happened. I mean, their church was, it appeared bulletproof, and then just when it was going at its best, it fell apart. And the reason it fell apart was because of the failure of personal integrity of their pastor, Mark Driscoll. And so me and the staff and the leadership team, like, we're listening to this because, you know, uh, maybe one day we'll, we probably won't reach 30,000 people. I mean, because there's 30 people here today. But, I mean, you know, one day, you know, but, but, but you know, we've got, we've got to take these lessons because the personal integrity of one person, the failure of, of his impacted so many people. And so we have to pay attention to that. And in your life and in my life, you can't just live your life thinking it doesn't impact anybody else. That you, you can YOLO and you can do what you want to do and nobody else should judge you because the thing is, is that other people's lives are on the line. Other people's health and emotions and stress and finances are on the line. And if you fail in your personal integrity, the stress is going to transfer. The load is going to transfer to other people around you. Now here's the other thing about personal integrity. Personal integrity is a universal expectation. 
It is a universal expectation. Think about it for a minute. We all expect people to be people of integrity, especially our leaders, especially people uh, that, that hold power or position, right? I mean, I, I would hope you, you expect your pastor, you expect me to have personal integrity. You expect your boss to have personal integrity. I mean, we expect police officers to have personal integrity. Uh, we, we expect celebrities and, and, and people, you know, who have the, the light shone, shined on them. We expect them to have personal integrity. We expect our principals our teachers to have personal integrity. It's just, it's something that we just expect. And here's the thing, it's something that we expect, but it was never a thing that we ever agreed on, right? I mean, we never agreed to have personal integrity. I mean, I, I took certain oaths, and police officers took certain oaths, but you didn't walk into your, you know, when you dropped your kid off at school and you met the teacher for the first time, you didn't walk in and go, now, I just want to make sure we're on the same page. You're, you're going to be a person of integrity, correct? Uh, I mean, we don't have that conversation. We don't make that agreement because it's a universal expectation. And again, whether you're Christian or you're not, right? But here's the thing. Here's where it gets really fascinating, okay? We're about to have some fun. You expect integrity from the people around you, whether you're a person of integrity or not. You expect personal integrity even if you don't have personal integrity. I'll, um, I'll, I'll give you a little example, okay? And nobody, nobody raise, their, raise their hand or say amen or you know, confess anything to me, all right? Um, this isn't mass. Uh, but you know when you were a kid or you were in school and you remember there was that one test that came up? And you found out that, you know, you didn't study right or you were scared of not passing it. And so you, you found a way to get the answers. Again, nobody say amen or anything like that, okay? But remember, you stole the answers or you found somebody who took the test before you. So you asked them what the answers to the test was. Or maybe you had a brother or sister who already took that final. And so anyway, you, you found a way to cheat, is what you did. You cheated. You cheated on your homework, or you, you che cheated on a test, and, and you found a way to get the answers. And so you filled out that baby, and you were like, that's 100%. Like, it's, I, I know, because I cheated, because <laughs> I know the answers, right? And so then let's say you turned in that test, and you got away with it. Like, you got away with cheating, and you should have 100%. And then the teacher grades that paper and gives it back to you. And let's just say for a minute that you found out that she... Uh, didn't, didn't actually grade your paper or your test correctly. So you get it back and you actually got a B minus. You're like, how in the world can I get a B minus? I mean, I cheated. I know, I know that I'm right. And you look at it and she cheated, the teacher, he or she, they cheated you some points. They misgraded your paper. What would you do in that situation? I know exactly what you'd do. You'd march over to that teacher and you'd say, hey, you misgraded my paper. How do you know that? Because I cheated. But the point is, is that you're supposed to be a person of integrity. You cheated me, and you need to make this right, right? Again, you expect integrity from people around you, even, even if you aren't a person of integrity, right? Thieves don't expect it to get stolen from <laughs> is, 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 is a line, right? Or I'll give you another classic, uh, classic uh, problem of integrity. And I, again, I know none of you have ever done this before. None of you have, would, would have ever done this, and you never, never will. But have you ever called, into sick, uh, called in sick to work and not actually been sick? 
Again, nobody say amen. It's very quiet in this room, okay? Nobody in the chat watching online or anything, raise their hand or anything like that. But have you ever called in sick to work and not actually been sick? I don't know if you know this or not. That's called a lie, okay? That's called a lie. And again, we'll get to that in just a minute. But, you know, let's say that you did this multiple times, that sometimes you just you didn't want to go to work or you had something going on. So you lied about being sick to, to be able to get off work. And then let's say one day all of a sudden it's discovered that the boss, the CEO, the leader of your job, you found out that they are a liar. They lied. They lied to you. They lied to the company. They, they lied to you about something. And so what would you do in that situation? It comes out on Facebook or it comes out in the paper. Or, uh, an email memo goes across. Hey, we just found out uh, Mr. So-and-so has been lying to us. And you would do what? You would go, that person needs to be held accountable. Even though you've lied and you're a liar, if you caught somebody else in a lie, you would say what? Something needs to be done about that. Justice must be served. We need to make sure that that gets fixed. That person needs to be held accountable for their lies, even though you yourself have lied. See, we expect integrity from people around us, whether we are a person of integrity or not. Or not. See, an integrity... It assumes and ought to that we readily appeal to when it's in our advantage that we assume everyone around us is accountable to. We make these assumptions about, about integrity. There just there feels like there is this ought to, this thing that we should all do, even though we've never agreed to it, right? I mean, we've never actually had a conversation. We've never gone to somebody and said, hey, just, just, just real quick, before we're friends or before I work for you, before we enter into a relationship with one another, uh, wh what's your opinion on lying? Hey, hey just, just real quick, what are, you, what are your beliefs on stealing before we, before we shake this deal? I just want just to clarify. You don't do that with anybody because you just know. You just know. You just believe that there is this, this ought to, that everyone, regardless of their religion, regardless of their culture, regardless of anything, that, that, that they, they are also accountable to, that we're, that we're all accountable to. What is that? And where does that come from? And, and here's kind of my, my, my idea, is this, is if, if you believe there is an ought to that everyone is accountable to, then you acknowledge the existence of the divine. Think about that for a minute. If you believe that there is an ought to, a universal ought to, that, that everyone is accountable to, then you acknowledge the existence of the divine. Because think about it for a minute. Think about it. I mean, you, you, have to, you have to recognize that if you believe that there is an ought to, that everybody isn't accountable to, well, it has to be anchored to something, right? It has to be anchored to something or someone. I mean, because you know that it did not originate with you. You, you know that you didn't think it up. And you know that it's, it's something that you, you know inside of you, and it's coming from somewhere, and it's sometimes not even something that you, you have to be taught. You just, you just know. And, and you know it comes from somewhere or somewhere else. Well, here's the thing. It, it has to come from somewhere. It has to be connected to the divine. If integrity is not connected to anything other than our opinion or experience, if it is not anchored to the divine, then integrity is fluid, Right? 
I mean, if there is an ought to that we are all accountable to, that, that holds sway over us, then you're admitting that there is something or someone that it is anchored to. You, you are admitting that there is the existence of the divine because without it, well, without it, everything is just fluid. Then integrity is just popular opinion. Then integrity is just completely made up. I mean, let, let me ask you some questions, okay? If integrity is, is not anchored to something, if it's not anchored to someone, then it's fluid. And if it's fluid, then we're just going off of popular opinion. Or the people in power are going to tell us what we should or shouldn't do. And then those people who are telling us what we should or shouldn't do, we can't even hold them accountable because what are we holding them accountable to? If not the divine, if not something that we're anchored to, then where does integrity even come from? So let me ask you some, some questions. And again, I'm not, I'm not trying to poke any bears or anything. But let me ask you a question. And you, you can answer this out loud because some of you, you need to go home safely, okay? Should women be able to vote? Okay. Should women be able to vote? Yes. We're all in agreement. If somebody said no, we have security. We're ready to remove them from the room, okay? But should women be allowed to vote? You know, at one point in time, the majority said no. No, they should not. So again, if integrity is not anchored to something, if it's not anchored to the divine, then that could change at any moment. Then the majority could one day change their opinion and say, you know what, we got that wrong for a little while. Actually, women should not be able to vote. Only the men, right? Or hey, how about slavery? Do you guys think that slavery is wrong? Yes or no? Yes? Okay, again, good. Derek, you can put away you know, your, 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 your handcuffs or anything. They all said no. Okay, everyone's safe, all right? So no, nobody in this room believes that slavery is okay. Well, hey, at one point in time, they did believe slavery is okay. So again, if integrity is not anchored to someone or something, if it's not anchored to the divine, then we could change our mind. And here's the other thing. If it's not anchored to something or someone then it's just popular opinion. And guess what? In some places in the world still today, slavery still exists. Now let me really dig in on you or something. So the countries who still allow slavery, that still say slavery is okay, do you just think that you're better than them? Do you just think that you know better than them? Well then, geez, that's, that's kind of prideful. That's kind of a, a dangerous slide to be on, right? But no, we know. We know in our hearts. We know in our hearts that, that women should be able to vote. We know in our hearts what is fair. We, we, we know that, that racism is wrong. We know that slavery is wrong. We know. But how do we know? Unless it's anchored to something or someone. I mean, you even take our Constitution, right? And some of this stuff, you could easily throw out there the, the, the argument, well, you know, you know what our Constitution says. Everybody has rights. Yeah, the Declaration of Independence, right? What did they say? They said there are certain unalienable rights, who cares? Who cares? John Adams wrote that. Who cares? John Adams, I, don't, I never met that guy. I didn't agree to that. When I was born, I'm a U.S. citizen. Maybe, maybe I don't believe that. Maybe I don't agree to that. Maybe I don't think that there are certain unalienable rights for everybody. But do you know what it says in the Declaration of Independence? It says there are certain unalienable rights endowed by their creator. See, even our Constitution even our rights as Americans, they're anchored to something. They, didn't, they weren't made up by a bunch of men in a room 
They, they weren't made up by John Adams and the writers of the Declaration of Independence. No, they said there are certain unalienable rights. that we, There are certain things that, that people should have freedom to do. How do you know this? Well, because they come from our Creator. Because they're anchored to something. Anchored to something that is above us. Anchored to something that has sway over us. That's how we know. See, when integrity, when integrity is not anchored to something or someone outside of you that holds sway over you, that you are accountable to, words like fair, just, moral, and right, those are just made-up words. So if, 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 if it doesn't come from someone or from something, it's not, if it's not anchored to somebody, who's to say what is right? And who's to say what is just? And who's to say what is fair? See, we have to be careful. Because who, who says? Who, who says it's wrong for, and, and again, I don't, I don't mean to be crass. I'm just, I'm just trying to paint a picture here for you to understand the reality of this. Uh, who, who's to say that it's, it's wrong for you know, a, a 25-year-old male to marry a 10-year-old girl? Who says? Who says that's wrong? What if the popular opinion changed and everybody said, yeah, that's fine? What if? Or, or, or who's to say a man can't have multiple, multiple wives? Who's to say? Why, why is that wrong? Who says that's wrong? Or what if next week, you know, I, I identify as a 65-year-old black male or female, and I invite you to my 67th birthday party? Who's to say that's wrong? Who are you to say that I'm not a black female who's feeling like I'm 67? Because my back has been hurting lately. You know, who's to say? You look at me and go, no, you can't do that. Why? Who says? Who? Who says? You? You think you're better than me? No. It's because your integrity and my integrity and our integrity, it's anchored to something. It's anchored to someone. It's not just made up. It's not fluid. It's something that we know. It's something inside of us. And it's something that we wrestle with. There's a tension, right? You know what I'm talking about? In your conscience? There's a tension sometimes that you wrestle with, that you fight with. And there are some times where you know nobody has told you. There's no law about it. There's no scripture verse about it. There are some things inside of you that you just know are right and wrong and are fair and unfair and just and unjust. And there are times in your life, whether you're religious or not, where you have to talk yourself into something. When you have to, and there's something inside of you that's calling you and telling you don't do that, and you have to justify it all of a sudden. Here's the thing. The moment you do that, the moment we try to justify a behavior in our minds, you acknowledge the existence of the divine, whether you believe in it or not. Because you are wrestling with something inside of you that didn't originate with you, that holds sway over you, that somehow you know you are accountable to. And we do it all the time. We do it all the time. Because even when we do lie, what happens when we lie, right? If we lie, we justify the lie. 
I couldn't tell my wife she didn't look good in those jeans. Come on now. I mean, I'm not crazy, right? No, I couldn't do that. No, no. I mean, we justify it. We make a, or if somebody catches us and like, well, here's the thing. The reason I lied to you, or some of you are already, you know, well, the reason I, I, I lied about being sick to call into work. You see, the reason is, see, here's the thing. Why do you have to justify a lie? Why do you have to make an excuse? Why not just decide, so what? You lied to me. Yeah, so what? When, when did we ever agree that lying was bad? But no, you know. You know inside of you. You had to wrestle with that decision to lie. You know that lying is wrong. You know how, how, how much we know that lying is wrong? It, it's sometimes when we lie, we lie about lying, right? And, and we, we, we justify it and we fight over it because the, the worst thing on earth would be to admit that we're a liar. We want so badly to not be labeled as a liar that we lie. Because we know. Because there's something inside of us. Something we acknowledge. See, you acknowledge a decision you should make that you did not create and that somehow you cannot shake. Where did that come from? See, Paul puts it in, in, in really, really, really clear words. I, I love what Paul says. Paul, uh, he, he put it in a much smarter way, and it was something that the, the first generation of Christians realized. There was a point in time, you know, after Jesus left, he said to, to take the message to the ends of the earth, to take it to everybody. And they didn't, you know, exactly understand what that meant. And so for a long time, uh, they still just remained, it just remained a, a Jewish religion, Right. Like the disciples and all these people, they only, they only spoke to Jews. They thought that still Christianity, even though it was a new covenant with Jesus, and even, even after seeing everything that Jesus did, they still believed that, you know, that Christianity is just a Jewish thing. And so even though Jesus said to take the message to the ends of the earth, they still didn't understand that message. And so they never once, really for a while, spoke to a Gentile. Because a Gentile, remember the word Gentile just means non-Jew. So we're kind of just, we're talking about anybody who's not a Jew. They didn't talk to Gentiles forever. And then there's a certain part of scripture where you understand Peter's story after Jesus left. And he gets invited to a man's house named Cornelius. And Cornelius was, guess what, a Gentile. And, 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 and Peter admits in the scripture there that this is the first time he's ever stepped into a Gentile's home. That, that's, how, that's how tense this was. He's never talked to a Gentile. He, he's, never, he's never gone and spent time with a Gentile. He's never broke bread with a Gentile. And this is 10 years after Jesus' resurrection. So for 10 years, they still have not even thought about reaching the Gentiles. And he goes in there, and, and he, under, he meets Cornelius, and Cornelius is a follower of Christ. Cornelius is a follower of Christ. He's in love with Jesus. He's following Jesus. And Peter is blown away. Because how can this man be in love with Jesus? How can he be a follower of Jesus when he's never read the Old Testament? He's not been circumcised. He, he doesn't follow any of the Old Testament customs or traditions. Whoa, he doesn't know any scripture. I mean, whoa, how in the world can this man be a follower of Christ when he's a Gentile? Because he's never been told what to do. He's never read the scripture again or any of this. And so all the disciples start to reach out to Gentiles and they start to understand this. And they start to meet all these Gentiles who have begun to follow Jesus and they don't know any scriptures. They don't know any part of the Torah. They don't know any of the 16, uh, 613 laws. They know none of the traditions. Again, they're not circumcised. They don't know any of the things to do in the temple. But how, somehow, 
They're upstanding people, great followers of Jesus, and, and they're just on fire for Jesus. How? How is that possible? And so they have a meeting. They literally had to have a meeting because they thought, well, geez, okay, if these people, if these Gentiles are going to be followers of Jesus, we need to start teaching these guys the rules. we got to start teaching them the Torah. we got to start teaching them the 613 commands. we we got to start going over there and, and, and showing them, you know, what it looks like to be a Jew. But they actually, in that meeting, decided not to. They decided not to, to require any of that. And the reason is, is because they, 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 they discovered something that they had never, ever seen before. It was the first time this had ever been seen. And Paul, he recognized it too. And Paul, he wrote it in his letter uh, to, the, to the Roman church. This is, this is what he says. He says, Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law, do not know the scriptures, have never read the Old Testament before in their life. They don't know the Ten Commandments or the 613 Commandments. They don't know any of that. They don't have the law, yet they do by nature things required by the law. They are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. So Paul writes this, and everybody's concerned about Gentiles. They need to be taught the scripture. They need to be taught the rules. They need to be taught the Torah. And, and Paul goes, here's what we've seen. This is what we've discovered. They don't have the law, yet somehow they are living a life as if they did. And then he goes on, and he says this. He says, they show that the requirements of the law are written on their heart. Their, their conscience, also bearing witness, and their thoughts, sometimes accusing them, and at other times even defending them. Paul says this amazing thing we've discovered about Gentiles. Um, they're following the law and they don't even know it. It's almost like on their conscience, God has written the law on their hearts. The law of God is on their hearts and their consciences are being informed. And as their consciences are being informed, they're bearing witness. They're, they're representing the kingdom of God well, how in the world is that possible? And their thoughts, their thoughts are accusing them and defending them. What Paul is saying is, he goes, it's so weird. He goes, I watch them. They have to make these tough decisions, and all of a sudden they're going this direction, and then there's something, there's a thought inside their head that accuses them and says, that's the wrong way. And then sometimes, sometimes they wonder if they're doing the right thing and they're, they're going this direction and everybody around them, the world and the culture is saying, don't do that. No, that's the wrong thing to do. You need to do this. And, and, and the thoughts defend them. No, this is the right way to go. And Paul goes, how is this possible? When they don't know the scriptures, when they don't have the laws, when they don't know the Old Testament, when they're not circumcised, how in the world is it possible? And Paul says, it's as if the Spirit of God is writing the law of God on their hearts. As is if God is speaking to their conscience and guiding them in the direction that they need to go. Now, here, here, here's what's so fascinating about this, and this is why I, I hung on to this for as long as I did to talk to you about this, because this is, this is just going to be so good for the next six weeks as we talk about this. Here's the thing, though. If you're, if you're on the fence about believing in God, 
number one, I, I, I applaud you for even listening to any of this. If you're, whether you're here today or listening live or somebody sent this to you and this is in the future somewhere. I mean, for you to even listen to this is very brave to have an open mind and listen to this. But, but here's what I want you to hear. If you're a non-believer or you're on the fence or you're an atheist, I mean, if, 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 if you don't believe, let's, let's, let's come to a somewhat of an understanding here. here. Here's the thing. If you're wrestling with what you ought to do with a morality that has sway over you that didn't start with you, you're acknowledging the divine. The divine that, that you may not believe in, that you say doesn't exist. Well, if you... If, if you acknowledge that there is this universal ought to that, that holds sway over you, that you know didn't originate or start with you, you are acknowledging that there is something. There is something out there that, that you are anchored to. There is something or there is someone inside of you that is calling to you. And it's not fluid. It is not based on anything you've learned it's just something you know. And here's the thing. The moment, the moment you or I try to justify an action in our mind, we acknowledge the law of God written on our heart. Now, again, if you're an atheist or if you're on the fence about God or you've left the church, I, that probably bugs you. But again, why does it bug you? Is it because there's something inside of you that didn't originate with you? that you know holds sway over you, something that you're accountable to and you hold other people to accountable to as well, why do you do that? Well, because you just know. You know. There's something in your heart that's calling you, that's informing you, that's telling you what is right, what is just, what is fair. And I want you to know that that thing inside of you is God. And that is a God that loves you. And a Jesus who died for you, whether you believe in him or not. And here's what I think is the most incredible part of that, is even though you may not believe in Jesus, or you may not believe in the existence of God, he loves you so much that even though you've left him, he still calls you in your heart. The law of God still speaks to you. And through your conscience, Jesus whispers, what is right, what is wrong, what is unfair, what is just, which tells me something about God, is that he has still not given up on you, that he is still informing you and writing the law of God on your heart because he loves you and he cares for you. Now, here's the other thing for us Christians in the room, right? For us Christians in the room, and this is so very important, so you need to, everybody, tune in. We should be, as Christians, people of integrity. Christians, we should be the people of the utmost integrity. We should be the examples of integrity. Because here's the thing. When we are people of integrity, we are surrendering to the rule of God over our heart, and we are participating in the kingdom of God. See, you need to be a person of integrity, Christians, not because you want to be a good person, not because you want to be liked, not because it's the right thing to do. It's because 
When you are a person of integrity, you are not just being a good person. You are surrendering to the law of God on your heart. You are surrendering to what God has told you to do. And when you are a person of integrity and when you are bearing witness, you are participating in the kingdom of God. And here's the thing. The opposite is true of well, is as well. When you are not a person of integrity, you are denying and sinning against the rule of God in your heart. And when you fail at your integrity, you are participating in evil in the world. And so for you, it's not about being a good person. And it's not about what you can or can't get away with. It's not having a good reputation. It's the question of, is that when you are a person of integrity, you are surrendering to the rule and the law of God on your heart. And when you manipulate, when you talk yourself into, when you avoid that voice inside of you, that ought to, that you know you should do, that you hold others accountable to, you are sinning against God and against other people. And you're participating in evil in the world. So don't do that. <laughs> but here's the other glorious thing that we're going to see too. See, this is why it brings so much truth and so much clarity, and it's just such a beautiful picture, is the other thing that this tells us and informs us is that we don't need a scripture verse for every single thing. For those of you, and I get it, gosh, I've grown up in the church and I've been a pastor now long enough, I've heard it more times than I could possibly even try to count. Well, tell me where it says that in the Bible. Well, tell me where it says that's wrong. Well, here's what I want to tell you. You're being a very, you're being a Jew. Okay, that's what you're being. I don't mean that offensively, all right? You're acting like a Jew. You're acting like an old covenant believer because you're looking for a law. And the reason you're looking for a law is because you think if there is no law, you justify what you want to do, but you know inside of you, you ought not to do. And I want you to know, as new covenant Christians and believers who believe in the Holy Spirit, that sometimes you're not going to find a scripture verse for that. It's not how the New Testament was written. So there are some things that inform us, but not all. And so there are some things that you want to do, but if you would listen to that tension inside, you know there's an ought to that did not originate with you, that holds sway over you, that you are accountable to. And what you need to do is to listen to that voice because that is the Spirit of God trying to lead you in a path that leads to the kingdom of God. But if you fight it and if you deny it and if you do what you want to anyway and if you justify it, you are resisting God. And you are saying no to the kingdom that he is trying to build with you. So, again, this is fascinating. For the next five weeks, five or six weeks, we're going to talk about this. We're going to dive into this. And I'm going to give you an understanding of what integrity is. And if you've lost integrity, I'm going to teach you how to get it back. And if you are a person of integrity and want to maintain that integrity, I'm going to show you how to keep it. 
And if you don't believe in God, if you've been on the fence about God, but you will admit to me, you may not believe in God, and that's fine. We don't have to call it that right now. But if you will admit to me that there is an ought to, that you, have, uh, that you rely on, that you, you hold sway over you, that you're accountable to and everybody else is too, you are at least admitting that there is an existence of the divine, that there is something that this is all tied to. And again, you may say it's something else. That's fine. But I want to invite you to at least be curious with me and to see where this is going. Because I'm telling you, that ought to inside of you is God calling you. And I want to tell you about him. And forget church, forget religion. I get it. You may have such a justified reason of not being a Christian anymore or not following God. You've got a bad experience and a bad person. Forget those people. Forget that church. Forget that past. You are totally justified in how you feel and where you've been. I get that. But don't let them and their religion and their rules and their laws distract you from what God is calling you to do. Because inside of you is a voice calling you home that is not willing to give up on you. So forget them. Forget what they've done. Forget organized religion. Forget that church. Forget that person. And listen to that voice inside of you that's calling you. Will you stand with me this morning? I want to pray for you. Will you bow your heads with me if you're you're watching online or if you're here in person, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Father God, Father God, we come to you today. Will you speak to us right now? So many times our hearts, our consciences have been informed. We felt that tug in a certain direction. We've felt that resistance against the things we wanted to do. And God, today I, I acknowledge, I understand where that comes from. That's from you. That comes from you because you love me. That's why you sent your son Jesus to die for me. So Father God, I am listening. I'm open. My arms have been folded, and I'm, I'm just opening them up. I, I, I'm opening them up because I'm, I'm going to be willing to listen for these next few weeks. I've had bad experiences. I've been fed bad religion. I, I've been manipulated by powerful people, and it's made me doubt. It's made me uncertain. But Father God, there is this inescapable voice inside of me. There's this inescapable compass inside of me that's directing me to what I ought to do and what I ought not to do. I can't get over it. I don't know where it comes from. And God, we at least at minimum today recognize that it is coming from someone or something that is outside of us. And for those of us who have followed you, who have dedicated our lives to you, who have picked up our crosses and marched behind you, God, we recognize that that voice is not just a, a conscience inside of us. That voice is your spirit. 
That is you. And I don't need a verse for everything I should or should not do. I don't need a Bible lesson or a Bible story. God, your spirit is informing you, me. Your voice is calling me. I hear you. I hear you even when I run from you. When, like the prodigal son, when I go off and I do my own thing, I still feel you and hear you calling me home. I still feel you guiding me in what I ought to do and what I not ought to do. You Sometimes I, I choose the right thing and people, others, friends, they, they tell me no, they tell me not to do that, but God, you defend me. God, I thank you for that. I thank you for never dropping me. I thank you for never giving up on me. I thank you for always still speaking and guiding me, Lord. And God, I I want to be a person of integrity. Not just because it's the right thing to do, not just because I, I want to be a good person, but because I, I want to surrender to your rule, Lord. I want to participate in your kingdom and what you are trying to do. Because I don't want my personal failure of integrity to, to spill into the people around me that I love. I don't, I don't want it to impact my kids. I don't want it to, to impact my family. I don't want it to impact my spouse. I don't want it to impact my church or my country or, or other people who have the same job as me. I, I want to be a person of integrity and I want to represent who I am well. I want to represent my people well. I want to represent my tribe well. So God, would you, would you help me to surrender to your rule? in my life would you help me to listen to the law of God that you are writing on my heart inside of me would you help me to listen to your voice and participate in what you are trying to do in this world would you do that in me God in your name I pray